Test one, two, three, test. Well, today is the day before Valentine's Day, and this may be your last reminder, Jay, that if you have not gone out to get uh, that that gift, that card, or those flowers, or box of chocolates, or whatever it is that that you feel like your significant other, your spouse, your Valentine would want. I mean, this is it. I, I would expect that if you go to Walgreens today, you'll find probably very few cards there. You'll have to maybe make your own. Uh, but everything's been pretty well picked over. If you've waited until now to order flowers, probably not going to work out unless you, uh, you know, go to the grocery store and uh, get them there and somehow you know, act like you have ordered them in advance. I've done that before. It uh, doesn't always work out. <laughs> it may be a reminder of how much you dread this day of romance and send you looking uh, on Match.com to uh, find a last-minute Valentine. Again, probably not a good idea. Uh, it's probably too late to find one in Russia as well. Uh, it could lead you to uh, the uh, Lonely Hearts clubs around town. I think there are some Lonely Hearts club celebrations. If you look hard enough, uh, you can probably find a few that are out there. Uh, however you think of it, it, it's quite unavoidable. I mean, all this Valentine stuff came out just the day after Christmas, didn't it? Uh, if you went into uh, Rite Aid or Walgreens or Walmart or one of the walls and you went inside, you'd see the hearts and the candy and everything that was uh, displayed everywhere for everyone to see. It's just unavoidable. And, you know, then there are those spicy his-her commercials on TV that make you just want to hit the remote real quickly. Um, but lest any one of us think this day is just another Hallmark Day, I wanted to share with you a little bit of, of Valentine's Day trivia I mean, it's nothing real interesting, but again, it's just trivia. The modern-day celebration of Valentine's Day is believed to have begun in France and in England. I guess maybe there's, you know, there's always this battle going back and forth about who started what. Uh, both of them claim to have begun Valentine's Day. Cupid, the symbol of the Roman god of love, or doves, Lovebirds, roses, hearts, and arrows, they're all symbols of the Valentine's Day celebration. Pope Galatius declared February 14th as St. Valentine's Day around 498. So we've been doing this since 498. That's a long time. In Great Britain, Valentine's Day began to be celebrated around the 17th century. By the middle of the 18th century, it was common for friends and lovers to exchange small tokens of affection or these handwritten notes that we would call Valentines. There was a belief in the Middle Ages that the first unmarried person uh, that you met on the morning of St. Valentine's Day would become your spouse. So if you're unmarried today, look out. <laughs> Tomorrow you want to be real cautious about where you go and uh, who you're looking at, okay? The first Valentine gift was sent by the Duke of Orleans to his wife after he was captured in 1415. Around Now, this would really apply to probably many of you. Around 3% of pet owners prefer to give Valentine gifts to their pets <laughs> as they are more grateful than humans. Okay, how many of you have some kind of weird dog biscuit or some kind of romantic gift for your animal? I'm not going to ask. I just don't want to know. In olden times, some people believed that if a woman saw a robin flying overhead on Valentine's Day, it meant that she would marry a sailor. What I would say is if you see a robin flying overhead, duck or hide somewhere. 
um, uh, she would marry a sailor. If she saw a sparrow, she would marry a poor man, but be very happy. Uh, if she saw a gold finch, what do you think? A millionaire, yeah. And it doesn't say whether she'd be happy or not. But. And then finally, the heart is the most common symbol of romantic love. Ancient cultures believed the human soul lived in the heart. And its red color is thought to be the most romantic of colors. So as we see pictures like this, as we go different places, we don't see uh, a, a heart, like an anatomical image of a heart, we see this nice, pretty, romantic looking heart. And that's how we think of heart. I mean, the doctor says you have heart problems, you're probably not thinking of that ugly organ inside of you, you're thinking of maybe something like this. That's just where our minds go. And especially with romance, and especially tomorrow, it's all about this heart-shaped love that we think about. This last fact really focuses in on what the day is all about. It's about the heart. It's why red hearts are plastered all around the drugstores, the shopping malls, and the cards. And again, it's just this first image that comes into our minds. As we continue with Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, and we've been in this for three weeks, just kind of working our way through not necessarily every verse, but we've been working through the major concepts that Jesus is presenting to the people. And, you know, it began with the Beatitudes, and we felt pretty good about that. You know, blessed are you, and we thought about all the circumstances, all 11 different areas that we tend to find ourselves in, whether it's mourning, or being poor, or being poor in spirit, uh, or being peacemakers, all of these different areas. We go, yeah, I, I can identify with some of these, and I can know that I'm blessed. But as we continue on, as we looked at last week, Jesus starts to get a little bit more serious here. Jesus begins to do what a lot of preachers are accused of and start meddling a little bit. But we get to this passage and we begin to identify with the people that are there in the crowd in, in many different ways. Because Jesus gets really practical here. And he begins talking about things that, that really relate to us. We can't help though but see images of the heart as we hear Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, this particular passage. We can't help but get the idea that His words here are all about the heart, especially feeling them at work on our hearts, and that what matters most to God is their condition, the condition that our hearts are in. At first glance, or with just a casual reading, we could get the idea that Jesus is attacking some of the issues, or some of the people who represent the issues that He's mentioning that he's banging his Bible a bit and making some pretty hard rules for people who are caught up in these issues. It could be that the people sitting there on the hillside were feeling the pain of Jesus stepping on their toes, wondering if Jesus was surpassing the Pharisees' reputation for coming up with all of these different kinds of laws that, that could never be fully followed, much less remembered. And so they're, they're beginning to wonder, I'm sure, who is this guy? I mean, he started out, I was right there with him, but now he's getting a little too close for comfort. He goes beyond rules on murder to getting an unhealthy anger and hatred. He gets their agreement on adultery, but then takes it a step further for the men in the crowd and deals with lust in their hearts and how it is no different than the actual act. And then there's the issue of divorce. Something quite prevalent and something quite abused in their day. Again, it is the men who feel most targeted here. As men were the only ones in their culture 
who could get a, a, a divorce, a certificate of divorce. Actually, you could, within the Roman system, you could, uh, a woman could file for divorce, but within the Jewish system, no, you couldn't do that. It was only something that would come from men. And they were doing it in great number and with very little caution, causing their wives to go into complete poverty. They couldn't own property. They, they couldn't have really any way of getting income. And so to file divorce on them would be to push them into absolute poverty and for them to get married again. There were all kinds of rules about that. And really they couldn't do that either without bringing all kinds of consequences upon them. And so they were doing it with all of this uh, with great number and very little caution. Jesus even gets into the issue of conflict resolution and indebtedness. Yes, it would seem like Jesus is just making it harder here for them and increasing the weight of the religious burden on their backs. But a more intensive hearing of this passage of Scripture, a closer look reveals what matters most to God and therefore to Jesus on this day, that what matters most is not the law, it is the heart. And Jesus is just echoing what God had been saying all along through prophets, through the priests, and even through the poets. They are, they are continuing to talk about this, that, that God is not concerned with the laws and outward expressions of religion, but is concerned for the hearts of people. Not just His people, but all people. God is concerned about the heart. That's what we heard in our reading from Deuteronomy this morning. At first glance, it would seem like, okay, it's about following the commandments. And of course God is concerned. I mean, God gave these commands really to be like seatbelts, you know, to, to keep people from destroying themselves. And here he goes a little bit deeper than that and gets into the heart. I want to read this passage again. See, I have set before you today life and prosperity, death and adversity. If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I am commanding you today, by loving the Lord your God, walking in His ways, and observing His commandments, His decrees, and His ordinances. Then you shall, you shall live and become numerous, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you are entering to possess. But if your heart turns away, and you do not hear, but are led astray to bow down to other gods and serve them, I declare to you today that you shall perish. You shall not live long in the land that you are crossing the Jordan River to possess. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Choose life so that you and your descendants may live loving the Lord your God, obeying Him and holding fast to Him. For that means life to you and length of days. So that you may live in the land that the Lord swore to give your ancestors, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. It's a powerful passage. It's a passage about the heart. And right there, God mentions through His Word, watch your heart. Be careful that your heart is not led astray. What we can know from Scripture and from Jesus on the Mount, is, is, in His Sermon on the Mount, is that God is a jealous lover. And God is concerned most with what is going on, not in our outward actions and all the rules that we can follow, but with the heart and what is behind the heart. As we hear these words, along with the words of Jesus in His sermon, we can know that God has provided us with a choice, and that He so wants us to make the right choice. He never forces us to. He says, here is one choice, and here is another. 
And you get to make that choice. I advise for you to make the right choice. And that you follow me with your heart. I was reminded of the, the kinds of choices that we can make. And uh, the, the conditions of our hearts this past week. Uh, I have a, a doctor friend who sometimes sends me weird texts. And this one just ranked up there as the weirdest. And uh, he, uh, he sent me something about a test that he had just recently discovered. And it's called the, uh, the plaque test. And it provides a new and more revealing look at the heart and how it is affected by the arteries. More specifically, it is about the effect of plaque that builds up in the arteries. Now, I haven't talked to this guy in a while. Um, usually we're just kidding around, sending stuff back and forth. But uh, and, uh, because of some of the health problems I've had, I, I thought, you know, that's not my problem. I, at least I don't think, it, my problem's not up here, it's somewhere else. <laughs> and uh, I thought, you know, I've taken a number of tests, I really don't want to take any more. So I, I texted him back to, you know, he sent this, this graphic to me that just, you know, it wasn't very pleasant looking. Um, but it, it, it's something that he feels like is a lifesaver, kind of the cutting edge of, of, of tests that are out there. But it is the plaque test for, and you doctors here in the audience, forgive me for maybe getting some of the pronunciations wrong, but for the LPPLA2 is, is the only blood test cleared by the FDA to help assess risk for both coronary heart disease and ischemic stroke associated with arteriosclerosis. The plaque test is a blood test that measures the level of LPPLA2, uh, which is lipoprotein-associated phospholipase, something like that, an enzyme associated with the inflammation of your arteries. Increased levels of LPPLA2 increase your risk of having a heart attack or a stroke. Now, that just looks pretty disgusting up there, doesn't it? And, uh, no, somebody likes that, future doctor. Uh, you can see the stable plaque and the ruptured plaque, and you can see what it does inside of the artery. And I just started to look at that and, and turned away quickly. But it's scary to think of what may or may not be going on inside of your arteries and heart. By the way, there's some pancakes and uh, donuts. I can see a picture of a donut right there and chicken fried steak or whatever else it is that, that you might have had recently. But it's scary to think about what is going on inside of our hearts and to think that, that we have some sense of control about what our arteries look like. I mean, some of this could be hereditary or, or genetic, genetic uh, of, of some sort, but a lot of it's just what we eat and the choices that we make. And we need to pay attention to our hearts. This is what Jesus was saying, that we need to be doing some spiritual plaque tests with our hearts. I just began to think about that as I was reading this text at the same time. We really do need to pay attention to the condition of our spiritual lives, our hearts. We are so much like the people of Israel who heard from God in Deuteronomy. We are so much like the people who were gathered there around Jesus as He was proclaiming this great Sermon on the Mount. Our hearts are prone to wander, are they not? We, we are prone to fill our hearts with so many things that can do all kinds of damage. But like my doctor friend, Jesus points out a great help, a way of looking at the heart from a different, more revealing angle. This, look, first of all, has to do with our relationship to God. God is love. And we can know that God is intensely interested in a relationship with us. I mean, just think about how incredible that is today. God is passionate about His relationship with you as an individual. 
that God is thinking about you today. When you woke up this morning, you were on God's mind. It's an incredible thought. God is the original lover, so wanting us to know of His real presence with us, of His tender mercy, of His passionate pursuit of us. He wants us to know that He created us with a design for love. The kind that is free and the kind that is completely fulfilling. If He were to send a Hallmark card, it would mention of how He has always loved us. Even when we cheated on Him. You know, there are a couple of cards like if you go to the Hallmark store, go to the, uh, the store now, I guess because of, 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 you know, we're just not ashamed anymore about cheating or something. You can find cards that relate to hey, baby, I'm sorry I cheated on you, or something like that. Um, but if God were to do it, you know, I think His would say, yeah, I know you've cheated on me. There's, there's no question. There's no hiding. I see everything. I know about your heart. But I love you. I love you no matter what. It would be full of adjectives describing that, that neither height nor depth nor life nor death nor angels nor demons nor anything else in all of creation could separate us from the loving heart of God. And God just asks us to love Him back. To give Him our hearts in response. This is what we miss when we focus on the outwardness of our religion. When we become more obsessed with following the law and all of its jittles than with what God is really after, the health of our hearts. It's what we miss when we choose not to allow our hearts to be touched by God's heart, never awakening to the expanse of love that God has provided us in Jesus Christ. There's a great quote I printed on the bulletin that is from St. Augustine. It says, Thou hast created us for Thyself, and our heart is not quiet until it rests in Thee. God, you have created my heart. And what I have discovered in life as I've gone about all of my passions and, and all the, the love pursuits of my life, I, I have come to the conclusion, O oh God, my heart is still restless. And it was restless until it found itself in you. It finally rested when it rested in you. And this is what God wants us to understand. That relationship is not about laws. Not at all. Jesus came to fulfill the law and to establish a relationship between humankind and a loving God. So, the, the look at this uh, test also provides something, that, something else we need to know and how God's love affects us in, it, in our relationships and with the people around us. The issues Jesus mentioned, the you have heard it said, uh, and Marcion would say these are the antitheses to everything that is in the law. And we could think of them in this way, but maybe in a little bit different way than Marcion did. We could say, well, this is Jesus fulfilling the law. He says, you've heard it said this, you've heard it said this, and he just goes down the list. But he says, but I tell you, Jesus has set himself up as one who would interpret the law. Just almost like every other rabbi, but in, in a fulfillment kind of sense. This is the heart of God. This is what God meant. And Jesus stood before them as the fulfillment of that law. But in all these, you heard it said, these are issues that we struggle with today. In fact, probably just hearing them read earlier took each of us to a different place emotionally. For those of us who are angry right now, and I'll just guarantee you, in a crowd of this size, some of you are angry right now. I mean, you may have a smile on your face, 
But if I start to ask you some questions, I probably would find some, some kind of level of anger within you. Maybe somebody that cut you off in traffic on the way here. Maybe it was a word that was said to you by someone in your family, and you're still angry about it. Maybe it's something that happened 40 or 50 years ago. And I see this all the time. You're carrying it inside of you, and you are still angry. And it just eats you up on the inside. For those of you who are in that situation, with festering hatred for someone, this saying of Jesus leaves no comfort or escape. Jesus says this is no different than actually murdering them your brother, or your sister. This sermon of Jesus gives us practical application on how to deal with conflict that we have with other people. And Jesus makes it clear for us that if our hearts aren't right with each other, they're not right with God either. Now you need to fix it, God says. Leave your gift at the altar, go fix the problem, resolve the conflict, and then you come back and make an offering. I'm really not interested in your offering unless it's an offering from your heart. Tough words. For those in the room who take great pride that they've not physically cheated on their spouse, look out. For those word, these words of Jesus bring more than just a little exposure. They close all the loopholes and remind us that adultery can happen with a lingering look at images on the computer, in a magazine, or down the hallway in your office. For those who treat marriage like it is a disposable appliance, These words are of no comfort either. Jesus holds us up to a higher standard here, acknowledging the reality and the need for divorce at times, but condemning its prevalence as well as the condition of poverty that it left women in then and sometimes and usually still does today. Each of these issues ties right into the heart and requires us to make every effort to manage its condition. With these words from Jesus, we've been diagnosed and have been found today that we need some help. That there is some nasty plaque in our relationship with God and with other people. What do we do? I was talking with some ministers this past week in our our weekly uh, lectionary study. And uh, we kept asking, where's the grace here? This this is one of those passages that's just no fun to preach. Where's the grace Well, as we keep going in the Sermon on the Mount, you've got to come back next week, okay, to get grace. We'll find plenty of grace because as Jesus fulfills the law, He fulfills it with grace and love. But what do we do? I mean, probably our hearts, the picture of our hearts, no one's going to plaster them on a wall at the local Walgreens. I mean, it's just not going to happen. And we don't want anyone taking our hearts and putting them up there. Do we add on more religion and restrict our hearts with laws? That's what the Pharisees would do. No, that obviously just makes things worse. No, the real solution is to allow God to clear out that which blocks the continual flow of His love into our hearts. It is to receive God's gift of love by saying yes to Him and to His ways for your life. And this is a choice before you and me today. It is a choice that God gives us. How will you choose? How will you manage the condition of your heart? Let's pray.